Uh, lastly, I will introduce our, uh, um, our speaker for this morning. I'm not sure what to do with this, but he handed me a mint with a strange symbol on it. I don't know if you can see that. It's a Saskatchewan Rough Riders symbol. So I ate the mint, um, but I'm really not sure what else to do with this. Ty is from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, so it's close to my hometown. And he's uh, representing Defend Dignity. Now, we have never done this before at Urban Grace, where we've had a guest preacher from uh, a particular organization, uh, because we really kind of want to leave uh, the, the freedom for all of our people to be involved in particularly uh, organizations that they feel called and led to and want to be involved in. But this issue that Defend Dignity is about is so critically important to our church and our day and our age that I felt it was really helpful for us to continue to keep the ball rolling. We've talked about uh, acting as agents of God's justice, that part of our mission is to accomplish the justice that Jesus has set out to redeem in our world. And part of that, uh, as you may or may not know, has to do with there's, a, there's some, basically some terrible cultural um, black spot called the sex industry, the sex trade. And uh, it, is a very, it is a very real issue for our time. Now, we've worked hard to figure out how we are involved, but we've actually run into a number of brick walls. So I think Ty's words will be very helpful for us this morning to continue to help us to understand um, the issue better and to understand God's heart on this particular issue. And so I want to read his text for this morning, um, and then I'll invite Ty to come up and speak. Ty, if you want to come up, and I will read the scripture and then pray for you. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and someone would love to bring you a Bible? Um, It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along as well. Here it is, Isaiah 58, 1 through 10. It says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgment. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down to his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, And the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, 
Then your darkness, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for Ty. I thank you for uh, the message that you have laid upon his heart. I believe, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit has drawn us together to hear from him at this time, in this place, for the reason of understanding this issue of justice more fully. Jesus, we confess we are a comfortable people. We confess we are blinded to the injustice right underneath our noses. And so, Jesus, may even this service be an act of repentance to you to say, we don't want to be like this anymore. We want to follow your way. We want to hear your word, however hard that word may be. And so, Jesus, soften our hearts this morning. Many of us are hard-hearted and think we have nothing to do with this issue, and yet, Jesus, that's not true. And so, Holy Spirit, do what we can't do as a church, which is to change hearts. Only you can do that. But change our hearts. Soften them. Help us to hear correctly this morning from your servant, Ty, and from you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Trev. All right. Well, it's good to be here. We've had a chance to be in the city for a few days, and uh, actually, this morning I even got to know uh, one of one of Calgary's own because I, I turned down a street where evidently only C trains are supposed to go down. So the the driver of the C train, he was like, "So fortunately, it's not a high uh, traffic kind of time right now, so that that worked out well." But uh, it's good to be with you, and uh, I bring greetings from our. Uh, our director, Glendine Gerard. We have uh, folks that are, are spread out across the country, but uh, really this whole issue uh, started to become on our radar as, uh, as Glendine uh, started volunteering at the local food bank. And that's where she met the first uh, prostitute. And God put it on her heart to want to do something about this issue, and I'll be speaking a little more of that, but it's been just around five years since we've gotten involved in that, and, uh, and, and God really has put on my heart the whole issue of justice, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, the slide up here will show um, the three things I'd like to, to have us consider this morning. First of all, what is justice? Secondly, why should we be concerned about injustice and exploitation, and, and then thirdly, how can we help those who are exploited? When I moved to Saskatoon just over 11 years ago, I was challenged uh, to have our faith community get involved locally and to serve our city. And uh, so we took a tour of several of the community agencies that were uh, serving people in our city, and uh, I was looking for a place to, where people in our congregation could volunteer maybe once a month, some, do some good things in the city. And at least two of the agencies that we, we connected with said words to the effect of, um, it's great that you're wanting to volunteer. What we're really interested in is we'd like someone to make an investment. And uh, 
And I kind of felt, oh, that's, that's too bad because I don't have time for that. I just have one couple hours a month uh, that we'd like to have our, our church get involved in. Uh, and I realized that they meant that they didn't want just volunteers, they wanted relationships. They didn't only want justice, which means, you know, the fair treatment, the righting of wrongs. Uh, they wanted a deeper connection. And what they're getting at is, is kind of what this overarching thing that the Bible calls shalom, peace. Uh, not merely just the absence of conflict, but wholeness, physical, emotional, spiritual wholeness. And so we did find an agency that we were able to partner with. Uh, you'll see the, the lighthouse here. And uh, every third Thursday of the month, we go down, we do singing, food, and games. But something interesting happened while we were there is that we got, first of all, I got connected with uh, one of the staff who introduced me to the passage that Trevor just read because that's their, their mission to uh, feed the hungry, to give them shelter and clothing. And uh, the second thing was that we started to get to know some of the folks and their, their lives were embedded into ours. And uh, we realized that one night a month wasn't nearly enough. We wanted to find ways to continue those relationships. Many of the people that the Lighthouse serves have uh, addiction or, or uh, mental illness issues or both and uh, have uh, destroyed some of their uh, social safety net and they don't have, haven't had real super good role models. And so we got an opportunity to spend time with them and it's, it's never dull. It's always fun. Um, just this past Christmas we were serving and I was sitting at a table with one of the guys who actually wasn't from Saskatoon. He was staying in the shelter and, uh, and he said to me that he, he was very religious, but there was a problem that he had. He just could not figure out, because it was around Christmas time, he couldn't figure out why they made Joseph a saint. Why would they make Joseph a saint? Because, you know, I see him in the, in the Christmas story. He's there with the wise men, with the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and then you don't hear about him anymore. I think he took off with the money. I think he took off with the money. So it was the first time I ever heard Joseph kind of talked about as a deadbeat dad, you know. And, uh, and so there's lots of interesting theology and lots of interesting uh, conversations. So we, we've gone down there. We've connected with the, the people who are there. I've had an opportunity to marry uh, some of them. We've gone to some memorial services from people who have uh, succumbed to some of the issues they've been dealing with. We uh, have... Uh, uh, purchased, I purchased some items from one of the gentlemen that uh, came from a questionable source, but I wanted to provide some help for him. And, uh, and we've played lots of games and lots of crokinole. Uh, but at the lighthouse, we see weaving together this idea of shalom, this idea of wholeness. That that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about shalom, the weaving together, um, the fabric kind of going together with each other. So there's, there's people of faith that serve at the lighthouse. They also have, uh, they have paramedics that work there so that, that the folks who are there don't uh, take up too much time in the emergency room. They have the, the police, Saskatoon City Police come through on a regular basis so that folks who are there don't spend too much time in the cells. They have the justice, they work closely with justice and social services and health and and uh, mental illness uh, health, 
And so there's this weaving together of all of the different dynamics of the, of the culture. And this passage that Trevor read for us talks about this idea of shalom that undergirds this uh, biblical justice. And if you're to look at verse 10, you'll see verse 10 on the slide. Um, it, it says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What's it saying there? It's saying that a person of another race, a person of another aspect of the culture and the society that's hungry and poor in your neighborhood is just as much part of our flesh and blood as if they were our family, as if they were our flesh and blood. And, and I've been learning this from my kids. My kids tell me, they, they help me to understand that, you know, Dad, we're all treaty people. We're part of Canada that's made up of treaties. We're all treaty people. And it helped me to realize that, yeah, um, my great-grandparents came and they benefited from Treaty 6, which is uh, Edmonton. It actually takes in the place near Saskatoon where I live now. And if it wasn't for Treaty 6, I wouldn't be here. Uh, we're, right now, we're on traditional lands that are considered Treaty 7 that was signed by Chief Crowfoot. I don't know, maybe you've heard of him. They, uh, I drove down his road here on the way here. And, uh, but, but connected, we are all part of this fabric, this webs of relationships woven together, interdependent. Uh, the more woven that they are, the more beautiful they are. If you took a bunch of threads and threw them down here, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a, a, a weaving, it wouldn't be a rug, it'd just be loose. But as they get intertwined over, around, under, and through, then that's this concept of biblical justice. That's shalom. And so it, it's when we individually um, experience physical shalom, it means our body isn't unraveling. When we get sick or we have a, an illness of some kind, there's, there's a breakdown of the shalom. When we, when we have, um, maybe our, our mind wants to do something that, uh, that we know is wrong, there's sort of a psychological shalom is broken. And, uh, and in the same way, when there are individuals who just take the resources that they have, their gifts, their time, their abilities, their, uh, the things that they have, and they plunge them into the neighborhood, into the culture, so that the, the parks are great, and the, and the uh, uh, schools are great, um, and the hospitals are great. And they, they work together. That, that's what's called, that's the social idea of social shalom is happening. As uh, this next slide shows, Neil Planting says that it's the webbing together of humans and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. So what does that look like? Well, just a personal example. Uh, I met my wife in a rural Saskatchewan town. Uh, we often say that uh, we were the only two singles in town, so it was destiny. And uh, she'd grown up in, in a home that went to church, but she stopped attending when her father stopped going. And she left home when the conflict was more than she felt she could handle. So fast forward through her university years, her very first job as a band director in a, a small town, and uh, she's extremely lonely, asks her mother, should I make friends at the bar or the church? And her mom says, why don't you try the church? And so uh, 
around that same time, there's a couple of guys in the school that were... I, I hate it when speakers get emotional. So I'm, I'm having just as much a tough time with this as you are. Um, so these, these guys asked if they could store her luggage in the band, their luggage in the band room because they were off to a Bible school for a weekend retreat. And uh, they suggested, they said, hey, Miss Dreger, you should come to church sometime and just kind of threw it out there. So actually my wife took them up on the offer, started to attend the church. She gained great respect for this family. They're local farmers, but more than that, their fabric weaved through not only the church, the community, the band parents association, the local theater group, community athletics, local hospital, and much more. And so it was natural for my wife to start hanging out with this family. Having grown up in a home with uh, four other sisters, it was kind of unusual and fun for her to be in a family that had three boys. And the threads of the fabric continued to weave together. Shortly after this, my wife's sister died instantly of a brain aneurysm. And uh, she left behind three young preschool kids. It was devastating. And so naturally, where did she turn? She went to her adopted family. And this opened up all kinds of conversations about death, about life, about faith. And it was a defining moment for my wife. One that would drastically change the trajectory of her life, that would ultimately bring her to a personal faith and the two of us together. And now 26, later, 26 years later, we can't imagine what our lives would have been like without the weaving together of this family that wholeness and the shalom that we've experienced. We keep in touch. We share meals. We've spent time on the phone. We pray for each other regularly. They're like our second set of parents. There's nothing we wouldn't feel comfortable talking to them about. We've stayed in touch with them even when we moved to Alberta for 14 years, and now that we're back in Saskatoon, we get to see them more often. They only live an hour away in Outlook, Saskatchewan, and the brothers that invited my wife to church are Jody and Trevor Rasavi. Fabric, the weaving together of community, the weaving together of lives. That was good news for my wife when she experienced that period of loneliness and brokenness. And that kind of weaving together has been good news for me because at times I've been experiencing moments of brokenness as well. We're all broken in some way physically or emotionally, relationally, materially, spiritually. And we've all had the fabric of our lives compromised or torn or shredded to some degree or another. And we have experienced material poverty or poverty of relationships or spiritual poverty. But all of us have experienced brokenness in some way. There's good news though. Jesus says that the only way to experience God's closeness in our lives, His kingdom is through poverty, is through his kingdom taking root in us. So that leads me to the second question on the next slide. Why should we be people who are concerned about injustice and exploitation? You can see the great dilemma that the folks in Isaiah 58 were having. They're trying to deal with this situation where they're involved in ceremony, they're involved in the practices of their religion, they're doing everything they could to be good. God could see it. They could see it. In verse 10, 
you see on the, or in verse, uh, in the early part of the chapter on the next slide, you can see that it says, God, God notices. He said, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw me to God. They, they delight to draw near to God. They say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? These folks seriously wanted God's closeness. They seemed eager to know God's ways. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says that the way that we experience God's closeness is through poverty. He says, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And on the next slide, to quote the great theologian Bono, God is in the slums in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who's infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunities and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. Or to put another way, Timothy Keller says, a deep social conscience and life poured out in deeds to others, and especially the poor, is the inevitable sign of real faith and a real connection with God. Justice is the grand symptom of faith. Why? Why is that? I think it gets back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He's close to the poor. Because as I realize that I am poor, then I realize that I have great need. As I realize I have great bankruptcy that I can do nothing about, that's when I reach out to God. So why do we help the poor? Why do we work for justice? Why do we plunge our resources into the community to give that sense of shalom? It's because it puts us in touch with our own poverty and because God is close to the poor. We see it many times in Scripture. Especially in the book of Proverbs, you'll see on the slide in Proverbs 10, 15, it says a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is his ruin. It doesn't say the laziness of the poor, the unjust social structures. It says the poverty. Poverty is actually the ruin of the poor. In Proverbs 14, 20, it says the poor is disliked even by his neighbors but the rich has many friends. And you may notice this sometimes when, when there's people in a community, the businesses of the community, where do they come from? If it's a poor neighborhood, chances are the businesses are not living in the neighborhood. They, they leave and the poor are left there. In Proverbs 17.5, it says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. And Proverbs 19.17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. So we see that, that God's heart is close to those that experience poverty. In their book, When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Ourselves, Corbett and Fickert outline four key ingredients that we all have. And you'll see it on the slide here. There's a relationship with ourselves, with God, with others, and with the rest of, of creation. And when there is severing or tearing of those relationships, they say we experience poverty. When we think too highly of ourselves and gain a God complex, 
or when we think too little of ourselves and suffer from low esteem. There's a poverty of being, a poverty of self. If we deny God's existence, if we worship our stuff or worship something other than God, there's a poverty of spiritual intimacy. If there's a loss of the sense to why we're here on earth, a loss of purpose, um, maybe we are lazy or we're workaholics. If we're focused on consumption or the creation is experiencing decay and makes it difficult for us to do our jobs, that they talk about that there's a poverty of stewardship with the creation. And if there's self-centeredness when we're alone or lonely, uh, if we are... Uh, either abused or exploiting others, then there's a poverty of relationships. And personally, growing up middle class, my only definition of poverty was a lack of material goods and possessions. I needed to come to the realization that I was more interested in taking than giving in my relationships, that I have a tendency to think too highly of myself, that I'm typically more concerned about what could be consumed than about how I can work towards sustainability. I experience spiritual, social, and relational poverty. As the next slide shows, Corbett and Fickert put it this way, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious and enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. So that brings us to our third point. How can we help those who are exploited? Well, at Defend Dignity, what we would say is three ways can help. Awareness, advocacy, and aid. For a long time, God's been showing me that my own poverty of being, this sort of whiplash effect that I've had from thinking too highly of myself to thinking too lowly of myself, it's resulted personally in sexual brokenness in my own life. And it took a long time for me to be open to God completely healing me in this area. And then it took a long time for me to be willing to be part of the solution regarding the issue of sexual exploitation. And so for five years, almost five years, I've been working with Defend Dignity. We're a, a justice organization. We work as catalysts with uh, churches and individuals to put an end to sexual exploitation in Canada. And these are just some of the realities of, uh, that happen in Canada. You'll see some of these stats on the screen. Uh, in Canada, one in nine men have paid for sex. The average age of girls who are trafficked are between 13 and 14. The average annual income of profit from each female who's trafficked in Canada is about $280,000 by their traffickers. And 93% of Canada's trafficking victims come from Canada. 50% are Indigenous. And since 1980, 1,200 Indigenous women and girls have gone missing. And so Defend Dignity works to bring awareness of the reality of exploitation and the issue of pornography in Canada. They tell us that uh, Pornography has reached to such a degree that it's almost impossible to, for any relationship to escape the effects of it. Even if the individuals are not actively participating in pornography, just the pornified culture that we live in have affected all of our relationships. We've had an opportunity to uh, uh, work together with various partners, people that work right on the ground, uh, those who work with... Uh, 
uh, bigger issues and advocacy. And in, in 2014, people across Canada were able to speak into the new legislation for prostitution that came in, into being in Canada, the Bill C-36, the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, where the kind of going after what has some have talked about as the Nordic or Swedish model, it really focuses in on the demand part of the issue. The, the men who are uh, trafficking, pimping, and purchasing women, trying to say that that's not acceptable in our communities. And exploitation affects a lot of women in our country from a variety of backgrounds for all kinds of reasons. And along the way, I've been honored to be able to meet some of these courageous women who have suffered greatly because of this issue. Uh, I've gotten to know a, a gal by the name of Mary. Mary, I met Mary at the Lighthouse. And uh, Mary grew up here in Calgary. She was adopted into a foster home. And... Uh, she wasn't made aware of the fact that she came from an indigenous Aboriginal background. In fact, her father would have her, uh, they would drive down to the local strip and they would uh, throw pennies at the drunk Indians. When they discovered some challenges in, in her, in her uh, relationship with her parents, um, Mary ran away from home. And uh, she found herself in social services and overheard two of the workers talking to each other, a girl of 11 or 12 years old, asking, uh, hearing these workers say, what are we going to do with the little Indian girl? And that's when the penny dropped for Mary. She realized that she came from an Aboriginal background, and that was part of the thing that just plunged her into decades of experience of abuse, addictions, uh, prostitution, and uh, trauma. Uh, she was around all of Western Canada and eventually found herself in Saskatoon where she, found she was able to get help at the lighthouse. She had some help for her addictions and then she began to actually work in the food services there at the lighthouse and each day she was living in a home in the community and each day would walk uh, downtown and see uh, some of the women who were working on the street and her heart really went out to her, to them. She started to bring them into her home and uh, uh, people from our church and other churches started to volunteer. Women started to bring meals and, and get to know some of these ladies on the street. And for a lot of reasons, which unfortunately, uh, the home did not continue. With personnel, uh, a lot of variety of reasons, it wasn't able to be sustained. And it broke the heart of our volunteers to not have that kind of relationship with those ladies anymore. As a result, uh, Mary moved to Winnipeg where she worked in a safe house, uh, but the stress of all of that had her succumb to her addictions again. And currently we don't really know where Mary is. She tries to connect with us every once in a while on Facebook, but we're, we're really concerned for her. I got to know a gal by the name of Kelly. Uh, she's a young white woman from a middle-class home in the Lower Mainland. Uh, she grew up in a single-parent home and at, at about the age of 15, w grew at odds with her mom and ran away. She got to know some other girls that introduced her to drugs and alcohol and then to guys who would help them to get that for favors. And it wasn't, a, she, she ended up at the uh, Teen Challenge in the Lower Mainland. She was able to get free and clean. And uh, the, the uh, group of women uh, attended one of our Defend Dignity events. And it wasn't until then that she realized that she herself had been trafficked. 
now she's married, she has a beautiful son, and is doing whatever she can to try to be engaged in this issue. A gal by the name of Sheila lives in Saskatoon and grew up in, on reserve in the Regina, south of Regina. Um, her friends got her drunk one night and she was raped and experienced sexual trauma. And again, that continued some of the cycle in her life as, as she was in, got involved in prostitution. And then she uh, got connected to a local church. They helped her get clean. Um, they helped her with, with some of her uh, getting her high school diploma. And now she actually works at the lighthouse. She speaks at the local John school and tells the men who come through the John school uh, what kind of impact their lifestyle has on people like her and her daughters as well. And uh, one of the guys who ended up at the local John school was there because he was driving his company vehicle and uh, around the strip and someone phoned the company and told them what this uh, gentleman was doing and he ended up at the John school and the lady who was sharing her story of exploitation as the men were sitting there she looked at this man and said uh, I recognize you he kind of put his head down and he shook his head no and she said no I recognize you I never forget a face these are the kinds of images and effect that, uh, that this issue has on women's lives. One of the gals that is at our uh, display at the back, her name's Beatrice. She's a First Nations gal from Regina who uh, was taken from her home at a young age. Um, her mother was affected by the residential school system and because of her own addictions, didn't care for her, uh, for Beatrice and her other siblings. In fact, they remember going to uh, a neighbor's home to find dog food just so that they could have something to eat. And they were taken from the home. Beatrice was put into a white suburban family in Regina. And uh, unfortunately, there was some physical abuse that happened there. As Beatrice grew up, um, she was now at a place where she didn't have to stand for that. And when her adopted mom was going to use a broom to hit her, Beatrice grabbed it, kind of pushed her away and said, you'll never do that again. And that was true because the next day, her adopted mom drove her to the native girls school uh, for good and dropped her off there. She got to know a girl who said, we should run away. Together they ran away. They met a guy who offered uh, a place for them to stay and uh, they didn't know it at the time but he was Regina's biggest pimp and again plunged them into a cycle of addictions and prostitution. While she was along the way Beatrice had eight children and uh, all of them at one point were taken from her. When she had her youngest kids she a neighbor noticed that she was high she had pretty much uh, uh, sold everything in the home in order to feed her addiction. And as she was walking down the street, uh, this neighbor connected with her and said, uh, Beatrice, you have a choice to make. You can have your children or you can have drugs, but you can't have them both. And that was the turning point for Beatrice where she started to work towards getting her kids back along the way, again, connected with a local church. And uh, 
Now she has all of her children with her. She's married. Her and her husband, Fergus, just purchased a business in Regina. And uh, God's been doing some amazing things through her life. As, and she is one of the gals who speaks at a lot of our events. So uh, there, are, there are difficult challenges, obviously. And yet there are also those stories of hope. And uh, we call the display um, uh, stories of hope. And that's, uh, we encourage you to take a look at those stories when you have a chance. So how can, how can we be involved? Well, as, we, as I mentioned, awareness, advocacy, and aid are three of the things that we, we think are really important. And so uh, we've done 34 awareness forums from Vancouver to Moncton, where we partner with local agencies and police groups, as well as have a... a survivor tell their story and trying to just raise awareness of this issue that was probably one of the things that helped us to get a bit of a bird's eye view so that our director Glendine was able to speak to the uh, Justice and Human Rights Committee as the new legislation was being being uh, drafted and uh, and so advocacy we think is really important and we we'd encourage you to go to our website there's a there's a letter there that you can write to your MP, Justice Minister, and the Prime Minister to really encourage them to keep working at making Bill C-36 a reality in our communities so that uh, energy resources can be given to local police forces to uh, use this tool to take men uh, who are purchasing women and to, to uh, provide the kind of help that they need and justice that they need. Um, one of the things that we would really love to see is that in our country, pornography would be seen as a public health crisis. So that there'd be some, some things put in place so that it would not be uh, affordable and accessible and anonymous uh, for uh, any young man or woman with a, a phone. And uh, we've been involved in providing aid. This year, we're looking forward to partnering with the Canadian Youth Workers Conferences across the country to provide some seminars to help uh, youth workers to see how they can um, uh, stop some of these issues from happening with uh, sexually exploited young girls and women. And we're really thankful that God led us through the survivors that speak into the work that we do to consider having a survivor fund. So a portion of all the funds that we raise go to hands-on practical use for uh, women that are needing some practical help, whether that be trauma counseling, um, first and last month rent, or uh, groceries, or help with, with their education. And one of the applicants to our survivor fund said, I believe I'm a good candidate for the fund because I truly want out. The violence, the, self, the lack of self-worth, the depression, and the post-traumatic stress, uh, post stress disorder, I want to be done with it all. And you see, again, that weaving together of wanting to have God's work done in her life. And so we need these kinds of heroes, and we need men who are heroes. One of the guys that's a hero of mine is a local, he was a Calgary City police officer. He and his wife now work at a safe house in Laos in Asia, um, Dan Rossi, and, uh, and really encouraged by men like him and others who stand up for, for justice and stand against sexual exploitation. Um, I, I was... 
You'll see on the slide here in Matthew chapter 1, we have recorded for us 42 generations from Abraham to Christ. And in this lineage, there are five women whose names are recorded. Tamar, Rahab, the wife of Uriah that we know as Bathsheba, uh, Ruth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Tamar, forced to remain a widow until she resorted to prostitution to get her father-in-law's blessing. Rahab, a prostitute who spared for her kindness to the Israelite spies. Ruth, who is a widow, shown kindness by Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. Bathsheba, sexually exploited by David, who used all the power of his office to do that. And even Mary, our Lord's mother, who needed an angel's intervention to stop a quiet divorce because of teenage pregnancy. All those who were marginalized and suffered because of the injustices of our world. These are the only five women mentioned in the ancestry of Jesus. And is it any wonder that he stepped up, that he stepped out on behalf of the hurting, the broken, the exploited women of his country? But you know, Jesus didn't only identify with the poor. Scripture tells us that he became poor. I was reminded of this when I heard about, uh, you'll see an article by Joanne Terrell. Um, she's an African-American writer rediscovered the Christian story while in her master's degree. And she realized that just like her own mother, Jesus was a victim of injustice. She'd grown up bitter because of the injustice that she herself had experienced. And she wrote, I suddenly realized, began to realize that Jesus Christ did not suffer for us, but he also suffered with us. Suddenly an African-American woman realized that Jesus had been lynched. Jesus was a refugee, kicked out of his country because of persecution. Jesus was humiliated, mocked, spit on, and punched. He was a victim of religious and racial persecution. He was a victim of an unjust trial. And so whether it's a Syrian refugee in our country, a First Nations person who suffered from being removed from their homes, or any of the abuses and poverty that you and I experience, Jesus, Jesus suffered with you and with me. In Colossians 1, it tells us that Jesus is going to bring all of these things together in wholeness. And he's bringing healing as far as the curse is found. He can change the lives of poor people, even me. So that brings us to the question, what is God saying to us? What is God saying to you? What is he saying during these moments with regards to either the scripture that's been read or some of the stories that you've heard or the issues related to uh, poverty and exploitation? Just want to encourage you to think about what God might be saying to you personally today. And then secondly, what are you going to do about it? What is God telling you, saying to you? And then what are you going to do about it? I was interested before the service to uh, connect with Curtis um, and uh, you already heard that he ran the marathon. It just so happened that as he stood at the starting line, he stood beside two guys who had jerseys on that talk about them being what they call freedom racers. Little did he know uh, later as he did some research that the freedom racers uh, use marathons 
and triathlons to raise awareness on human trafficking and the funds that they raise for it go directly to defend dignity. Must have been a coincidence. And so we, we all have opportunities of ways that we can be in personally involved. And, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that all of us can do is prayer. And there's some prayer um, information at the back just talking about some of the systemic issues in our country and ways that you can pray for people. There's also awareness that we can uh, learn from ourselves. So the, I'd encourage you to go to the Defend Dignity website. You can also follow us on Facebook where it's updated regularly with articles, not only in the news, but from other organizations that might be encouraging to you and, uh, and get to know what is happening with regards to this issue. We can be advocates. That's another aspect of involvement, uh, whether it be writing letters regarding Bill C-36. We also have a website called familyfriendlywifi.ca where you can sign a petition to ask uh, restaurant owners to provide porn-free family-friendly Wi-Fi in their restaurants. And uh, you'll also notice there's a, an Alberta MP, MP Vierson, who has put a private member's bill together which calls for putting um, in place some safeguards with regards to uh, sexually explicit material on the internet. And uh, there's a, a petition that if you're willing to sign, you can go ahead and do that. And then there's the, uh, the whole aspect of providing aid, getting involved in some way. And uh, so uh, you'll see here a, a quish, qu uh, picture uh, with the Ride for Refuge. And these are some of the, the folks from our church who got involved uh, each year around October, uh, this year, October 1st. Uh, there's a ride that is open to anyone. Um, it, there's also a 3 or 5K walk that you can participate in, raise awareness and, uh, and raise funds for local issues. And some, uh, they, they represent a wide variety of agencies. Uh, Defend Dignity is one of them. There's all kinds of local agencies. There's a ride right here in Calgary to be part of. And uh, people who raised funds for us last year a uh, direct result of what they did was enabled us to put together the uh, Hope Lives Here display that you'll see at the back uh, that's able to go wherever Defend Dignity goes to tell the stories of survivors. So if, if that's of any interest of you, to you, there's some information at the back as well, or you could go to rideforrefuge.org and uh, become part of that. We're hoping that we would have 20 teams across the country that would raise awareness on this issue. But in conclusion, just want to also say that one way that we might respond is to, is to respond to Jesus today and to receive the wholeness that he offers. That he is someone who suffered with us so that the penalty that he endured might result in our forgiveness, our freedom, our wholeness, our shalom. And as has already been talked about, that's what the gospel is all about. And that's why we want to realize that even though we have in many ways experience poverty, that Jesus loves to hang out with the poor and that that's the way that his kingdom comes to us. Can I close this in prayer? God, we thank you that your heart is close to those who are broken and in big ways and small ways, all of us have experienced brokenness. And so we just invite you to speak into our lives as we uh, prepare to uh, receive the, the bread and the cup. Lord, we would just pray that the brokenness that you experience, that we realize that there's a great exchange that is made so that the brokenness you experienced would enable us to experience wholeness. 
And so we want to receive that today and we want to follow you in ways of justice. We don't do it to feel good. We don't do it to uh, earn brownie points. We do it because we follow Jesus, someone who's truly concerned about the marginalized, the broken, the exploited, the poor. And so we would ask for your wisdom as we figure out what that looks like in our day-to-day lives. And we'll give you honor for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ty. It's a good word for us. And my hope is that our, our fabric of even our church can continue to change. Um, it's a, a good reminder. I didn't tell you how much Ty had meant to me because of his illustration, but um, my fabric is that when I was, I think, 17, 16, uh, a youth pastor in that same small church named Ty McKenzie asked if I would consider ministry as a life vocation. Uh, so our fabric has been changed drastically by someone challenging someone else to step up. And, uh, you know, as I hear Ty speak, and I don't, I don't love being a weepy person either, Runs in the family, I come by it honestly. Ty can attest to that. My parents are quite weepy as well. But it made me mad to see those stats. And I hope that it made you mad. Not in a way that said, um, how dare people are like this But it made me mad that in some way I have contributed to this. That that has happened underneath my watch. And as I call the band to come up, there's there's times when we celebrate this table. A celebration for the goodness that Jesus has done for us. And what a good word. Jesus didn't just suffer for us, but suffered with us. That's the gospel that he didn't just do this on our behalf, although he did. And without him doing that on our behalf, we couldn't be here. But what a savior who didn't just suffer for us, but suffered with us and didn't, didn't put suffering off in the corner, but instead became suffering. And not before we got all cleaned up with our lives did he die for us, but while we were yet sinners. While we were contributing to his death, he died. And I think it's appropriate this morning that we partake of the meal as an act of confession. I know that we don't talk about it a lot here, but there are many of us who have contributed to the need for the prolonging of pornography in our society. I don't know a lot of stories personally, but I know that statistically we have contributed as a church to this. And it's time for confession. It's time to repent. It's time to say, this is not a problem out there. This is a problem with me. The way I think about men and women, the way I treat those people around me who I work with, 
the way I think about the people who don't have homes outside of our building as we meet on Sunday morning contributes to this. And it's time to confess and say Jesus Christ has paid the price but he has not paid the price so that we can continue to go on sinning. He has paid the price so that our hearts could be changed. Guilt could be forgiven and we could move forward becoming freedom fighters. And so today, this is my challenge for us as a church family, not to hear this. I was thinking of what do we confess? What do we confess today? Well, I think we need to confess of our inactivity that some of us have known that this is a problem and we're not dealing with it. And we need to confess, today's the day it stops. And the other thing I think we need to confess is indifference, that this is not my problem, this is someone else's problem. And today could be the day that changes our lives and says, this won't continue to happen in my life anymore. And so I invite you to come. For those of you who don't understand what we're doing, we are symbolically partaking in a symbol, the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus suffered in our place for our sins. Meaning that all of the sins that we have committed are no longer heinous to God because Jesus Christ paid the price for those sins. And we no longer have to walk in the guilt of that. Symbolically, what is represented is the, the bread, the flesh of Jesus, meaning he was here on this earth in a physical body, suffering the pains that you and I face. And he also died a death, a physical Roman crucifixion, symbolized by the blood, the cup, to give us the freedom that we so desperately need. And so today is a day of confession. And so as we sing, I invite you to come and to ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse you from your sin, but also to say, I want to change. And I want this to stop. So would you come?